0: Hi, thanks for joining us. I'm Jen Winkleman. This next pocket of time is going to be dedicated to the healing art of storytelling. I've been working in the mental health field for the better part of the last two decades, and in that time, because of my work, I've had the great privilege of hearing countless stories. I hear stories that leave me, at the end of the day, filled with awe about the resilience of the human spirit. And I get to hear stories about those surprising moments when love steps in to save the day at the very last moment. And I hear stories about the true grit it sometimes takes to survive the human experience. I learn something about life and humanity from all of these stories, and I want to be able to share what I've learned, but because of the part that I play in my community, I'm meant to be a keeper of those narratives it's important that I maintain privacy and confidentiality for the families that I serve. And so those stories have to stay inside the four walls of my counseling office and are held by those sacred moments where one person tells their truth and another person bears witness to it. And in this, there's some sort of magic that we co-create that leads to healing. But this has me thinking that the reach for healing could be bigger. So I decided that outside the counseling office and on a larger scale, we needed a forum for storytelling. We need to get back to the root of taking the time to listen to each other's experiences and to begin to draw from them. So today, our guest and I will have an unscripted conversation apart from the questions that we routinely ask to get into it. And then you and I will have the opportunity to learn a bit from his or her experience. In every case, there is value and something that we can borrow for our own lives. Because behind every face, there is a story. And in every story, there are life lessons begging to be learned. So as we listen along today, it's up to us to find the lesson in the story. And then if you and I so choose, we can catch that truth like a firefly in a jar and use it as light on our own paths. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Today, our guest is Kate. Kate. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Thank you so much for being with us. So we're going to... so exciting. My first podcast ever. I know. Well, you're (laughs) in good company because we are all newbies here. So um, we're going to start with the first four anchor questions that we use to set up the springboard for the rest of today's conversation. Okay. First one is, who are you? How is it that you define yourself? What do you think people need to know about you to make the most out of whatever we're going to talk about
1: today? Well, I th- think when people first meet me, um, I'm in a wheelchair, so that's that's the first thing that people see. And I think um, from being in a wheelchair, I've just I was injured so young that it's been with me my whole life. So I don't really under, you know, I forget that people don't know how I was injured and, you know, how that all unfolds. So it's a learning process as I get older, especially when I realize, Oh wait, they, they were curious or, you know, they're too afraid to ask me Mm -hmm. things. And, you know, so that's, that's a huge part of who I am is, just trying to make people comfortable with people. You don't see that many people in wheelchairs around. I mean, you, you do, but you, you know, it's true. It's definitely
0: not the majority. It's definitely
1: a minority group. And I think my, my goal is to make people comfortable and just see me as just, you know, a girl who was injured, but I'm just like you, Uh, you know, we all want the same things we want. You know, I I like traveling. I like music. I you know I like everything that everyone else does. It's just that, you know, I have a challenge that's very visible, and so that's that's a huge part of of who I am. And um, and then I have kind of probably unique perspectives just because of that. You know, with a lot of social issues and. I don't know. It really shapes who you are because one of my friends had the best way of putting it. Um, she said, you know, when people look at you, all of your kind of crazy.
0: If you <laughs> want, for lack of a better <laughs> word, it's not you're, crazy. Your crazy
1: is visible. Right. Whereas someone else, it you know, they may have time. had. Right. They can hide they, it. They can hide it because they look, you know, normal. And so not that i'm not crazy as well I, you know i'm, I'm plenty <laughs> crazy but um <laughs> but you there but, is this thing that you cannot right, hide so i can't hide it but i you know there are blessings in everything and i think through being in a chair the people that reach out to you are a little bit more open minded i think than than people who don't or you know people who just have these assumptions of what people in chairs are like and as if, if you're there's not, some if you're sort not of baseline open, that applies to everyone right, <laughs> right. well it's funny cuz you'll get the people that come up to you like oh i know someone in a wheelchair and i'm like right cuz we're all alike right <laughs> and so you know they have really goofy questions and but i never no question is ever dumb because it's part of their learning too. Right. And since it's not something people encounter all the time, you know, I'm, I'm doing my part to help, to help, <laughs> to educate, educate, help the public. educate and, you know, get them up to speed that we're not all that different. And, you know, I'm goofy and, you know, one of the best compliments I've ever had was I went out to lunch with a friend and she picked me up at my office and then she, when she was bringing me back to drop me off, she just kind of sat there in her car like, get out. okay, don't you have somewhere to go? And then she was like, oh, God, that's right. I forgot. You're in the chair. I need to go get the chair out of the trunk. And I was like, that was the best day for me because she, she sees forgot. me for me, not for, you know, it, it totally dismissed in her mind that, you know. That was even a question. So I don't know. That was, that was awesome. awesome.
0: <laughs> Have you always kind of been, um, and I'm deviating a little bit here, but I think this is important. Have you always felt this gracious about helping other people feel comfortable and helping other people learn and understand because um, this is a
1: difference? Or is that something you've grown into? I think it's definitely something that you grow into because of course when you're young you don't want to be different. You want to be part of the group and you don't want to be singled out or feel differently and I was really lucky because when I was growing up I don't feel like there was nearly as much bullying as there it is seems now. that there is now and maybe that's just because social media is so prevalent and big and I mean, the, the kids now don't even know what it's like to not have it. So
0: this definitely changed our culture. There's no question. And And we watched
1: that happen. Right.
0: We're like right in that weird generation where we watched the transition happen.
1: Right. Yeah. And all the kids were nice to me. They, you know, in PE class, they picked me to be on their team, even though I probably wasn't going to be great at it. um, you know, I, I never got picked on for anything for it. And I, I don't know if that would be the case. I mean, everyone's story is different. So I can't say someone else in a chair didn't have as great of an experience as I did. So I I guess it is something that I grew into. I think just realizing how few of us are out there that are not elderly or because of, you know, you always see nursing home or, you know, older, right. right? just as part of that's the aging like a different demographic or something, right? It's just part of the aging process. And that's just, a, that's a totally different, a lot of people just haven't encountered someone younger and active and willing to try sports and, you know, all these different things. And, you know, I, I, if people are curious, I—not that it's my job—but you always want to make things better for the future, because sadly, I—I I don't know if a cure is just around the corner. So, by the time testing and you know certain advancements do happen. You, it it might not be in my lifetime it might not be you know these things take time the body is complex especially the spinal cord yes. um and i have a spinal cord injury and so i just want people to see me and and be part of the crowd but like have it not even phase them in a way yeah
0: so makes sense Yeah. Thank you for letting me take that detour (laughs) and asking that question about your your advocacy and your willingness to educate, because I don't think that's everyone in in a chair. I don't I don't think that's everyone. So that second anchor question has to do with ordinary versus extraordinary. So if we're looking at that spectrum of a very ordinary life that we feel like we live all the way up to, oh, my goodness, my life is incredibly extraordinary. Where do you plot
1: yours on the spectrum? (sighs)
0: a little
1: bit ordinary in day-to-day life just because, you know, I grocery grocery (laughs) shop. I love, I'm a girl. I love target. I, you know, like (laughs) that's, that's ordinary, but just, I sometimes sit back and I think about all that I've been through and you kind of amaze yourself, not trying to sound cocky, but you know, I, th- I was thinking about it the other day, about how every decade in my life, I've had to overcome something really hard. And people tell you all the time, I don't know how you do it, or, you know, how you survived. And you don't really have a choice when you're going through it. I think you learn a lot about yourself. And through those experiences, I think it I think in the end, you come out a lot more grateful for what you already have. And then your friends that have helped you along the way, you know, in my, I was hit by a drunk driver when I was two and my dad and brother were both killed. So it was just my mom and I left and she's from Ireland. So we also have no, not a lot of family here here. in the United States. Yeah. So she, she, just seeing how strong she has been my entire life. Because our car accident happened when she was about 35. And can you imagine waking up as a 35-year-old? Your Half your family was just wiped out by a drunk driver. You're a foreigner. And your child that's left is a complete mess. I had a spinal cord injury injury. And it's my level of injury is right in between my shoulder blades. So I'm a paraplegic. And back then that, you know, that was in 1979 and they didn't have all of the features that cars have now with side airbags and the outcome might've been
0: different if right, the accident they happened didn't, today.
1: Right. They didn't even have toddler car seats back then. And right. they had the seatbelts that just go across your lap, not across your chest. So, I was just sitting in the back seat with a little lap belt on. And so, you know, the door flung open and cut my leg off below my knee and they were able to save it back then. I just can't imagine waking up and my poor mom, you know, just being so alone and having this huge problem to deal with. And it's such a major problem. It's not going to go away. It's not. There's no, there's, there's no, no light at the end of the tunnel. It's like, right. this is what this is. Right. And you it know, was something so major, but she, and I, I know, you know, that she, it wasn't easy. And I'm. she just, she blows my mind. She's, I can go on and on. Like there's, there's not enough time in this podcast to, (laughs) to talk about how great my mom is, but you know, she's my hero. I know it wasn't easy because, you know, she doesn't know, but when you're a little kid and she's worried we were denied health insurance and all this stuff, because of course now I have a preexisting condition and she was terrified if one little thing went wrong with me we're going to lose our house. We're going to be homeless, you know, like all of our money will be gone to medical care. And so I would hear her cry herself to sleep. She would lose chunks of hair in the bathtub, you know, just so incredibly stressed out. And, you know, she's, she has been nothing but gracious and just, bright, light. Everyone who meets her, loves her. Um, she reminds me of Snow White because <laughs> any animals that, any animals in the neighborhood, if they get out of their own yard, they run to her house and wait for her at the front door. So, I mean, she's just, she's like Snow White. She's, <laughs> <laughs> that is so cute. She's, you know, and she's forgiving. She, you know, people ask all the time, how can you forgive the drunk driver that he Mm. hit you and really I I learned that through my mom and my mom taught us taught me you know obviously forgiveness and and just faith in God and that you can't harbor that hatred because it'll it'll take over and you'll you won't enjoy things you will become bitter you won't you're not going to come out better on the other end of it if if you don't forgive and with a crime like that it's not like he planned it and i'm not excusing in any way drunk driving by any means but you know the fbi had a file on him that went back to him being 11 years old shoplifting hitting oh, me so wow you know he just petty, stupid little things. But that just tells me he didn't have the parenting that I did. He didn't, if I did one little thing, you know, my mom would lecture me and you're busted. I was totally busted. Like I remember in part of parent teacher conferences, one of my teachers told her I was putting too much pressure when I would write with a pencil And I remember her being like, look, you know, you got to, you know, just small little things. Obviously, he didn't have that. So on the one hand, I feel sorry for him because he didn't have that training and that upbringing that you don't do that. He also didn't plan it. So it's not like you wake up one morning and you're like, I think I'll drink a bunch of beers. I'm going to get high. Cause he also had he was drunk and high, so the combination made him pass out at the wheel. You don't think? I think I'm going to kill a family today in a in a drunk driving accident. So I know he didn't mean it. So I keep that in my mind too when I when I have that forgiveness. And the day that I saw him for in court he, for so he survived. He survived the collision. He survived, mm-hmm. and he fled the scene. And they actually caught him ten years after our car accident. So I was a teenager, and I think I was about twelve or thirteen. And I remember I got the call from the FBI agent, uh, you know, in charge of our case, and he called me at home, and it was after school, and. My mom was working and at a, at a school, and so she, he called, and I said, oh, she can't be pulled out of class. And he said, oh, well, this this is really, really important. We really need to talk to her. Is there any way that you can? And I said, can I ask who's calling? And then as soon as he said he was with the FBI, I said, let... let just I, a minute. Just a minute. <laughs> let me figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, you know... The, and then my mom found out, and I think it was a sense of relief because ten
0: years, ten years,
1: he was an experienced camper. He never left any sort of trail because he knew that the he knew he knew what he did when he came to, and fled the scene. And there were all sorts of little things in the case that made it difficult for them to know who they were after um, at that time. So. He was actually found in Paducah, Kentucky, after hitchhike. You know, he was hitchhiking, and a police officer. Well, he, let me back up. He he was put on the fugitive of the month list for the FBI here in Colorado. They circulate that list throughout all the states, so that off because obviously, if you've done a big crime, you're not going to stay in the same place. So he took off and. Ten years later happened to be hitchhiking and an officer had studied the pictures. And you just get you just get a bad feeling sometimes about someone that they're shady or kind of shifty with their eyes or whatever it may be that that tipped him off. And so he asked him, hey, you know, what's your name? And the FBI got close to catching him several times. But, you know, then it went cold trail again. Wow. And so he gave the he gave an alias to the officer and the officer let him go and gave him the typical lecture. Like in this day and age, you really shouldn't be hitchhiking. You know, it's dangerous. And I don't know what your intentions are. If, if a woman picked you up or, you know, who knows what, but please don't do that. And so like he let him go, but he had this nagging feeling. And so he called it in and said, is there a man wanted by this name? And they said, we think that that's an alias used by a man wanted in Colorado. Don't let him out of the area. So they called in a search team and he knew anytime he had any sort of encounter with any sort of officer, he had that fear that they, that he was going to get caught to pick so up and go.
0: And was he afraid of being caught specifically associated with what happened with your family? Yes. Or was there a trail of other things that he was avoiding? as far as I know, our crime was the biggest, and... So he knew, he knew how badly he'd hurt you, and he knew that he had taken two lives.
1: I think so, because it was all over the news right after it happened, because he also fled the scene. Mm -hmm. And... I don't really think he got into much trouble after that because he didn't want to get caught. So he survived off of doing odd jobs for cash. He camped. He, the FBI showed us pictures of his abandoned cap campsites. And it made me heartbroken in a way for him because His trash was only beer cans. It barely had any food waste in it. So obviously he was an alcoholic. I don't know if his drinking got worse after our accident or if it never went away. Right. Because if you have that guilt about what you did, that's a sentence that he has to live with. I have to live with the physical sentence yeah. You know, yeah. of of that. But, but there's no guilt. But it's not anything that you did. Right. Right. I was just a toddler. Mm-hmm. So but you know, he I think what he would have to live with is so much worse. I'm sure in prison it, hopefully he was able to join things to help him get off alcohol and kind of clean himself up and realize that it was a mistake and just move on Um, once he completed his prison sentence he was sentenced according to the laws when the accident happened and in the 70s drunk driving wasn't as big of a deal so even with two fatalities and even with two fatalities he was sentenced four years for killing my dad four for killing my brother and two for paralyzing me so 10 total
0: i am
1: jaw dropped i know Ten years total, and because of prison overcrowding and, you know, all sorts. He's not considered a violent offender or anything. He could have gotten out on parole after six years. I'm, I'm sure he probably only served six. I have no idea where he is or anything about him, really. And I just hope in that time he cleaned himself up and found his way you know, to continue and hopefully do something good out of it. I feel like out of every bad situation, something good can come out of it. So hopefully he was able to find that for himself. Um, But I had, you know, a, a lot of my thinking towards forgiveness. That's, I credit my mom for that. Yeah, this is and, coming
0: all the way back to that extraordinary life. And my life is partly extraordinary because of my mom.
1: Right. Yeah. She's she has given me everything. And she gosh. Oh, <laughs> um she's like she she's right just the <laughs> she's just the the epitome of just love and unconditional love and I I, I can't think of a better person to just exude that and everyone who meets her leaves smiling and she just she's magical. (laughs) We're quite a team because it's it's only been the two of us for all these years and you know the the past few years she's been battling oral cancer so and I you know it's sometimes you just have those feelings that life isn't fair totally because after all that how can this happen and she never smoked she never drank she never you know she's an angel <laughs> why do these things happen and I think I think with bad things, you never really know why they happen, but there has to be some sort of greater force behind it that maybe you're strong enough to endure it and someone will learn from you and not make a mistake. You know, maybe someone who has met me will think twice about Getting drinking. In a car after, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. So the third anchor question has to do with the definition of success
1: how do you define success well I think my circumstances kind of shape that answer to um, in my case health comes into play for success because you have to be a little bit more diligent about certain things to stay healthy to be successful and to me success isn't necessarily about money but how many friends you accumulate and the the quality of your friends and who you're who you surround yourself with just being a good person to me that's a success i i guess i have a hard time with the word success just because so many people equate money and success on the same level and I don't really you see people that have the money all the time and they don't seem to be happy. So I think happiness is part of success. Um and I think that's a huge part of why you can be successful. Um I feel like if you haven't found peace and happiness you can't find success. That's, that's kind of a tough, It tough is. question. It is tough. That's yeah. part of the reason that we ask it. Yeah. Yeah. I like the question, but it def- it's a head scratcher. It is. <laughs> it is. So, but I think, to me, I, I would equate, I think I am successful just because I love my friends. They're so caring. And the people that reach out to be my friend are open-minded. Like I said before, um... I think in order to, it's a little bit more work to be friends with me. You know, you, if you want to go places with me, there's a wheelchair to load in the car and there are arrangements you have to make for special seating that's accessible and restaurants, you know, we'll get there and tables are high with bar stools and, you know, there's, there's a little bit more work and thought thought and planning plan exactly and so i think that's one of the blessings that comes out of being in a chair is the people that you attract are so great i can't hide it and they're willing to overlook it and be like well she's in a chair but she's really funny so i guess it all i guess it all works out <laughs> so <laughs> So you know there are trade offs, but they're just they're kind of angels here on on Earth, and I don't I don't think they know that I view them that way. But I can see it when they have been around me for a long time, and then they see something that just infuriates them because it's not cool in terms of like ADA laws or and then we get so upset that people just rush right past me to jump on an elevator when there's an escalator 10 feet away and they will be like what in the hell is their problem <laughs> you are right there you have no other you can't use that <gasps> and they just <laughs> they get so upset come and to your defense I, I love that because you know they they've become little warriors for people like me and I think that's such a a beautiful thing, because I think that's what fuels change and fires up passion and learning. Changes for the better, you you know. That's a, that's all part of that. So I don't know. My my friends, my mom. What more do I need? <laughs> you know, that's um, a great way to put it and health, you know, I think that's a huge part. I mean, everyone should take care of themselves and just do things that make you happy and and realize to let things go. You know, some of my friends who are kind of workout nuts and that's that's great, but just take a little time to smell the roses along your crazy runs and, you know, that sort of thing, but I I would say success to me is health and just friends and living a good life, um, the best that you know how and the best that you can and helping other people. Because so many people have helped me and my mom along the way and we have that, I know she does too. So, But we have that feeling like they don't know how important that was to us. They don't know how much we value that and that we love them for it. Like one of my mom's friends and and neighbors after our car accident, because we don't have a lot of family here, um, I, I have very little family in Colorado and my dad's family is kind of scattered throughout the United States, but hardly any here in Colorado. So after the accident, I was in the hospital for a long time with recovery and rehab and surgeries and my poor mom, our house is a, it was a third of an acre yard and she's wow. a tiny little woman. Mm-hmm. And she said the most helpful thing was them mowing the lawn and doing things without even asking, just doing it. And she said, it's things like that, that people have no idea how much that means to you. And I, I hope people listening to this will keep that in mind. Um, if you see someone kind of going through something hard, don't even ask. Just do jump, something. jump in it. Do something that you know will benefit them. Um, because that's, that's part of the... It takes a village and watch out for each other. And I feel like if you do good things, it comes back to you in unexpected ways. And you everyone loves my mom so of course the second things have gone haywire for us they are they just jump right in and and her neighbors actually argue with each other over who gets to help her first (laughs) so that's just the kind of person it just speaks volumes about how she is she when she had you know was going through all her cancer treatments and stuff she's retired so she gets bored so if it's snowy or whatever and she had the energy, she would be like, well, I think that I think that the neighbor's working late, so I don't want her to have to shovel. She will, after shoveling her own driveway, she'll head over to the neighbor's. She's just, she's a little dynamo. She's, you know, and she's just doing it because it's just a nice thing to do and she can. So, um... I don't know. There are so many cool programs out there. And I, when I bought my house, I have a, the driveway and stuff. And I, I have tried, and I, I, was, I thought I positioned the snow shovel in a way that I could figure out how to. I'm very independent, so I don't like to ask for help for hardly anything. So I thought I figured out a way to shovel by putting the handle of the shovel in between my knees and pushing it along oh
0: my with gosh, my wheelchair.
1: And then it backfired when I hit the the front blade of the snow shovel, hit something, and then jammed back. But then the handle came back and punched me in the ribs. And I was like, okay, I'm going to end up injured. I need to not. So then I tried to look into, are there any, any, any programs or, like, anything that can help with certain things like this. And I I can't remember what it's called in Littleton, but it's a program called snow angels or something like that. And they have zero volunteers. And that makes me so sad because why can't people think about, okay, you want to get fit that's exercise and you're helping someone like that. They, I wish all of those things could come together. And like, I wish a lot of things would just work like that. And, or, you know, if your kid is grounded for whatever reason, make them do manual labor, make them, <laughs> <laughs> make them shovel for their elderly neighbor or, so you know, and then they'll learn something more than just sitting in their room, staring at the ceiling. I don't know. Just little suggestions, I think. <laughs> just little things tucked just little away. little things for, that yeah. I think would make life
0: just better. <laughs> um, so that final question then, and I think we've actually traversed here a little bit over the course of our conversation so far. What are three events, experiences, themes that have occurred over the course of your life that you think have most shaped who you are? And if you can share those with us in broad brushstrokes. And then if there's one that we want to go into some more, then we can.
1: Well, obviously, the biggest one is the car accident. So I would put that as number one because that happened when I was so young. And it just shaped who I am. And I didn't have a normal childhood, you know, like other kids. I still played with them and did all the other stuff, but I just had added you know, like throw in physical therapy and surgeries and, and all that. Um, and then it, it really shaped, like we were saying, you know, throughout this conversation, how much of, I mean, every, almost everything I think about or do the the accident has shaped how I think and how I react to things. So I would think that is one. I think another one, is I lost one of my very best friends when mm-hmm. I was 29 and we went to middle school and high school together and he had muscular dystrophy and that was life changing to me. Um, Cause I think it, I think when you're in your twenties, you're still in that bubble where you're invincible and nobody your age Nothing sad happens and you've heard about it, but you don't really experience it a lot. And I was just devastated because in a way, when our car accident happened, I didn't, I was young enough that I don't, I don't remember how sad it was. So I think like that was tragic in its own way. And then going through losing my friend And we were two peas in a pod. If I was missing, I would be at his house hanging out. He had such a funny personality, and he had a different outlook on things, and watching him decline over the years, I think I still had it in the back of my mind, like, oh, well... You know, he looks worse than last year, but it's going to work out. It's, you know, He'll be you okay. it's going to be fine. And I think it's in part denial and in part just because he still we still had normal conversations. We never really talked about what would happen when he goes. And I think we both it was an unspoken. I know it's going to happen. I don't know when we never talked about it, but it's, it was fast when it happened. Because his kidneys and organs just started to fail and it was less than a week. Wow. It was so fast and I just, it was heartbreaking. And when the night that he passed away, I woke up at a certain time in the middle of the night and I just had a feeling. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if it was good or if it was bad, but I just felt like I wasn't by myself. I didn't know what it meant, and then I went back to sleep. And the next morning, someone from his house called to tell me, and it wasn't until later that I found out he died right around that time. Yeah. So I think, to me, if anyone had any question about what happens to you when you die, I don't think it's over. I think it might be over for just your physical body. But certain things like that have shaped to, you know, what happens or what, you know, and, and it, it followed me. He, he was an incredible artist and he used to draw cars and exotic cars to the point where you would have a hard time telling if that was a photograph or if that was his art. He was, oh, that, wow. he was that talented. And car dealerships would buy his art to hang, and I mean, he was so talented. I was, just, I was, I'm still sad when I think about him, and when I hear things like, or when I'm out and about and I I see a really exotic car, it, it's usually right at the point where I'm thinking like, oh, you know, I miss him or. You know, he. So I feel like, in a way, hi. Right, it's his little way of of telling me, you know, I'm still here. And his parents have told me things that they think he's telling them, hi. And I know shortly after our car accident, my my brother who who died in our car accident. He was older than me, and he used to like to play pranks on my mom, and. She thinks that he used to hide her keys and do little, you know, just little odd things around the house. So I think they, I think the loved ones that we have find little ways of just reminding you, you know, I'm here, I'm watching out for you, I'm playing pranks on you. (laughs) Um, um, So I think that's another significant thing that has shaped I am
0: losing someone is always significant, but what really strikes me about what you're saying is that this person was such a, um, big part of your formative years, you know, so much. So, I mean, you guys grew up together, right? And so when you kind of add like the loss itself is devastating. And then when you add this other piece on, like, we were kids together, and then we were teenagers together, and right. then we figured
1: out how to be grown-ups together, and right. then you were gone. Well, and it's funny because when I first met him, it was in middle school, and someone at my school approached me and said, you know, he's coming to this school. He used to go to a different school, and he's not going to really know anyone, but you guys are going to ride the same school bus because it has the the handicapped lift. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, will you just kind of reach out to him because I think he's having a a little bit of a hard time. And I remember when I met him, I was like, oh, God, he's so annoying. He's so cocky and he thinks he's so fancy because his house is really fancy. And so I, you know, I didn't really get him at first. And then, of course, you have to ride the bus two times a day together So it took a while to warm up, but then I started playing jokes on him and, you know, he would tease me that I'm not funny at all. And I thought I was hilarious. (laughs) And there was (laughs) a bonding point. And then, you know, and then in high school for a little while, I thought I was too cool because, you know, his friends were super annoying and I didn't want to have anything to do with those jokesters. So, you know, but then... I think it was our C se- or his he was one year older than me and so his senior year he invited me to his graduation party so I went from then on you know it was just so much fun we kind of compared notes of you know different experiences at school and we we were just inseparable after that and his parents were so thankful cuz then I would introduce him to my friends and they were so great cause they're already wheelchair is not a new thing to them. So they have cause through me, they've already experienced that. So they were the first to, you know, he had to have the the handicap van that to, cause his was a power chair. So it's not something you can just throw in a trunk and go. So, But who wants to hang out with their parents when they're young? Right. That's not cool. Right. So so my friends would be like, oh, well, I'll drive the van. Let's go out. We don't need them. And his parents were cool with it. So um, that was really fun, just having normal experiences of just being out and about and with friends and staying out late and, you know, causing trouble around town, Um, (laughs) you know, and of course we matured a little bit, not not a lot. <laughs> we were still in our 20s, but you know, I th- I think I think that's why that was so so hard on me cuz he he was so great. I remember we were supposed to hang out one night and I ran an errand and we, he was going to meet me back at my house and we were going to take off from there with with his brother driving and I got hit. And so I called my mom. Like a fender bender in the car? Total, just fender bender. I was fine. But my mom was running out of the house, and my friend was just getting there. And she told him, Kate's been in an accident. And she said, I have never seen that look of fear. He turned pale as a ghost, and he just jumped in his van and followed me where you mm-hmm. were and she said he he honestly thought it was serious he had no idea but I've never seen him so scared and my mom said you know he is one of your very best friends just judging alone by how freaked out and worried he was that something had happened to you it's something that you may not see but it clicks that yeah the bond is there the bond. so that that was devastating um, to me and I think probably the third would be just having fun experiences out with my friends you know we did everything and we did all of the normal college stuff we would go out and I know that's not just a single event or maybe not the answer you're looking for, but you're allowed, but, um, (laughs) you know, just having so many quote unquote, normal experiences and going out and just being out there and art galleries and bars and restaurants and sporting events and hiking and, you know, just, get out there and do, do stuff and don't let things hold you back. And everyone has some sort of limitation about what they think they can or can't do and just try it. Or if, if it's something that you just think you'll hate, don't, um, no one's forcing you. Um, (laughs) if you want to do something, you want to, I mean, you know, you have to, Kind of do things to help yourself grow, and you never know what comes out of it that you'll end up liking. Like, skiing was something scary to me, and I would go with my friends to the Warren Miller movies that are so popular here because skiing is such a big part of our culture. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the very last years that Warren himself was touring with the film. You know, I thought the movies were really cool, but they didn't really often feature a lot of wheelchair athletes and then I was in the crowd and we were leaving and he was signing. Warren was signing books and and things and he just kind of looked up and he pointed at me and he goes hey you get over here and I went over and I said oh hi (laughs) am I busted I, I said hi and he goes you know how how where do you ski what you know And I said, I never have. And he goes, well, where are you from? And I said, Colorado. And then he said, what the hell is wrong (laughs) with you? And I said, I don't know. And then he goes, all right, I'm going to give you a phone number. I want you to call this guy and set up, you know, a lesson stat. You need need to get that. That's just wrong that you live here and you haven't tried it. And so I went that year and it was so much fun. So... I think just pushing yourself when you don't think that you can or want to. And, uh, you know, for a number of years, I was a, a pure volunteer at Craig hospital mm-hmm. and it was such a great experience. It was also very draining though. Will you say a little bit
0: actually about what Craig is? Because I think, um, people locally will know Craig hospital, but Sure. People sure. outside the area may ha-
1: have no idea what you're referring to. So let's. Yeah. Well, Craig is a very specialized hospital. They specialize in brain injuries and spinal cord injuries. So, um, a lot of traumatic rehab, traumatic injury rehab goes on there. So maybe not your initial care right after an accident when you're just a complete mess. But yeah, it's when not you're... an emergent
0: facility no, at all. I don't no. think it's all so rehabilitative. It's,
1: it's all rehab. And so when I volunteered there, I volunteered for a couple of years and I was a peer counselor. So one of my duties was to just meet and hang out with some of the newly injured patients because I was injured so young that I grew up with it. Um, so I never really knew any different. Um, Almost baseline. Right. And so I never knew what it was like to drive or water ski or run or, you know, that that's all foreign to me. I figured out my own way of doing it. I drive. I, you know, I have a bike. I do, you know, I do all the things that I want to. Um, but there's no, like, conscious memory of
0: no. doing those
1: things with your legs cooperating. No. But all of these people, I had to keep in mind, they knew what it was like and they... I had to put my myself in that mind space of thinking about what it would be like to be normal and have a day-to-day routine in life. And all of a sudden that's taken from you and you think your life is over. Yes. You think, Oh, I can't drive. I'm not gonna be able to go to college. I'm not gonna have kids. I'm not gonna do all this stuff. And so they thought it was a good idea that I met with patients and just hung out with them and I would help the nurses if they needed, you know, if they were short and, but I basically just sat down and just chatted with them and asked, you know, what did you like before? And just reminded them, you're still going to be able to do that, whatever it is. You just have to figure out a different way of doing it. So you know, there are some people that were really into art, and you know, y- you can still figure out. I mean, an easel is an easel. It doesn't matter, it, it's the same. You may have to cut the legs off and make it a little shorter or do whatever. And even with every handicap, I'm not gonna be the same as someone else in a chair and in, in their needs. So if you are injured, you have to keep in mind what's best for you, how it's going to work for you and that you need to modif- modify things for you and that was part of my job it was very draining you said that you said that because you're going in and you're you're giving all of your positive energy to someone who it's almost like a battery transfer and i'm full and you know when i go in there for the day but by the time i leave i have to someone at the bottom trying to bring them up so it's a it's a balance of it's a really great metaphor in a way yeah yeah so I needed a little break from it but I think I think at this stage in my life I'm not busy with school because at that time I was also in school so homework and papers and you know and then I just I felt good about what I was doing but it was also very draining so when you don't have that break I just needed a little, a little time away from it. So I think I, you know, I'll have to look into something like that again because I think I'm in a good spot again to reassure people freshly injured or those that need reminders because not all people come out of it with a chipper attitude, which is totally understandable. I, I get it, but... I hope that they learn from me that don't let that take you. There's so much, there's so many good things out there. Everyone has something hard that they've lived through or have to go through or will go through. And mine is just more visible. Mine is on the outside. So you can look at me and know that I've been through some stuff. But I think that's a little harder when you're talking to someone able-bodied. They've been through stuff, too, and they have stories, but you have to pry it out of them sometimes or just be their friend and get to know what they're all about. And, you know, I I hope that people, I hope that being in the chair, people, I hope that it's comfortable or I make people feel comfortable enough to ask me questions. So... If they just want to know logistics of how I do things, go for it. Or how I feel about something or, you know, people ask me how I feel about the death penalty and, you know, should, because they'll get so fired up when they hear my story. And, oh, like, I can't believe that guy. I hope he dies. And I'm like, no, (laughs) that's the wrong answer. You know, he didn't mean to do that. And I forgave him. I would be lying. I'm human. So I have my moments where if something is a little tougher for me, I, I can't say that I'm not mad. Yeah. I'm mad at the situation. I'm not necessarily mad at him. It's not, he's not doing it at that moment. You know, um, he's, he has to live with that sentence for his life. So But it makes sense that those ghosts would
0: pop up from time to time. I think that's just part of the human experience. Right. Hey, everybody. This is Jen, and I'm cutting in because our time is up for today. So we've got to pause the conversation with Kate, but please join us next week when we come back, and we'll bring you part two of this conversation. As always, we thank you so much for listening in. One of the most important things for our speakers and guests when they agree to be vulnerable with us about their life experience is to know that what they have to say is going to fall on ready ears. And we couldn't do that without you. Please remember that all of the opinions, ideas, information, and views shared as part of today's conversation belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find each episode helpful and interesting, please note that this podcast doesn't serve as therapeutic intervention, nor should it substitute as advice or direction from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado. We specialize in working with adoptive families and provide support and training associated with attachment and the impact of early trauma on childhood development. If you or someone you love is struggling with adoption-related or relational challenges, find us on the World Wide Web. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me, with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you'd like to be a guest on All I Know, please reach out to Jess. You can contact her at jess.alliknow at inwardboundco.com. One more time, it's Jess, J-E-S-S, know at inwardboundco.com. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. We release a new episode every week. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us here at the show reminding you, catch all the light you can.